Besides the stated reasons for me being here and ministering in the Word this afternoon and the connection with the field of Mauritius, I also counted a great privilege to do it because I met Brother Herringson prior to him starting Bible College and I remember having good conversations with him. I noted his manner. If there's any man that I would consider a gentleman, uh, it would be Brother Herringson. But I've noted your progress, Brother, over those years and through Bible College and then on the field. And uh, I praise God for your life, for your wife, for your children. Uh, You are a blessing. So it is a privilege to be able to share. What do you say on an occasion like this? Well, it's not as though I have a lot of experience We all come up short. So I feel it's important to turn in the scriptures to what I would term a ministry statement. And I wonder what you think of, preacher, when I say, where would you find a ministry statement in the Bible? Well, I'd find it in Acts chapter 20. If you could turn with me to Acts chapter 20, we see here a lengthy encouragement given to the elders of the church at Ephesus concerning the ministry. As Paul documents his past and also his present, but then ventures to the future and what he looked to in looking to the Lord to guide his steps. It's a ministry statement, Acts chapter 20, and I can't do all of the statement, but I can do a verse in the statement. And so if you would turn with me, I would like to touch on 24 today, but I'll set some backdrop to it with verse 22 to 24. Talked about the past and the things the Lord had used him to do in ministry and now he talks about his present. Verse 22, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, Save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And here is our text. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you uh, for this clear statement of what ministry is. And Father, it is good for us all, whether it be Brother Herringson or all of us who serve you in some capacity, to consider where our ministry is in light of the truth. And so we pray your direction and guidance on this time May the Spirit of God have his way with us, working in us, that he might work through us. So we praise you and thank you, our gracious God, for the privilege of being in the ministry. We ask these things in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the first thing is to do is to define the word ministry. The title today is The Ministry. And we find that the word ministry defined, when you get to its base level, talks about being a servant. Whether that's running an errand, waiting on a table, 
It's occupying yourself in doing something for someone else. Indeed, the ministry is servanthood. It's being a servant. Did not our Lord Jesus Christ say in Matthew 20 and 27, And whosoever will be chief among you, disciples, let him be your... What is it? So a few people know the Bible. Great. <laughs> servant. That's it. Let's see what he says in 23.11. You know how to finish the verse now, don't you? But he that is greatest among you shall be your what? Correct. He'll be a servant. And that's what the Lord esteems and upholds. It's not just a servant of anyone and anything. If you glance back up in Acts chapter 20, you'll see in verse 19 how he defines the one we serve. He says there, Paul, in this ministry statement, serving the Lord. Therein lies the person you serve. It's not yourself. It's not others. It is the Lord. First and foremost, we may serve in a church, we may be in a community, but it's the Lord that we serve. And how do we serve? Well, it goes on to say in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Not arrogance, not pride, not look at me, look at me, look at me idea. Rather, it's humility. And God lifts up those who are his humble servants. There seems to be in our age an aversion to wanting to be a servant. It is though it has some virus attached to it that people stay away from it. It's unclean to be a servant. There's an avoidance to servanthood. Now, I know the word service has the word vice in it and some people think if they're going to serve, they're going to have to be committed, they have to be regular, so it's just too hard. Well, there ought to be a vice in our life because the love of Christ constraineth us, thereby squeezing us so that we are propelled in his direction. So there ought to be some constraint on a servant. He ought to serve willingly. So we don't want to avoid it. I say to you today, we want to be addicted to it. Paul said at the house of Stephanus in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that they had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Many addictions today. How many people are addicted to service? Not many. They've appointed themselves to be the servants of the Lord with all humility. Well, we need to see the personal application today and I'm talking to you all as well as Brother Herringson. When Paul made this statement, I want to reread the verse that is our text with a bit of an emphasis on certain parts. See if you can understand why I'm doing it. But none of these things move me. Neither count I, my life, dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You notice the emphasis there, me and I and myself, he took it up personally. Don't just get lost in the crowd. God knows where, you sit, where you're sitting today 
and he puts his finger on you to consider, are you my servant? He wants you to be his servant. Well, I'd like to take the verse and look at some elements in the verse, if I may, with you in the time I have. The first thought is the method. Following the statement and the ministry in our text, it goes on to say, which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Where did Paul get the ministry from? He got it from the Lord. He got it on the road to Damascus. For every Christian, we have a commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to see people saved and baptised. That is true for every one of us, young and old. But I do believe, based on the authority of the Scriptures, that God said he would give, you know, the apostles and the prophets, he would also give evangelists and pastor-teachers. For what purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So he gives, and I believe thereby, because he's giving it, he calls people to it. He calls people to the ministry. I believe God's still calling people to the ministry. Paul declared it where he says, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. And then earlier in that particular book, 1 Timothy, he states, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me and for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So God's calling people. And I ask myself, why don't people respond to the call? Perhaps they can't hear the still small voice saying, it's you I'm talking to. Too much other noise, inside and outside. I remember in my early teens, and I remember it vividly, sitting on my bed, I didn't have a desk in my room, and I had a stool, it's like one of those wooden art stools or uh, stools they used in the science department, and then I had this little stool, and on it was one of these basic student Bibles. And I was reading this verse on that particular occasion from Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because he, they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He was moved, and myself, I was moved because he was moved at the need of the people he was looking at. We ought to be moved at the need of others that are around us who are lost. It wasn't until my latter teens when I attended a church camp and it was in the afternoon the preacher got up and he took up the very next two verses. <laughs> a lot of years passed from me understanding the commission to getting a calling. And he took these verses up and he said, then straight on from this, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labourers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labourers into his harvest. And the point that he made was this, don't forget to include yourself. Oh Lord, thrust everybody else out wherever you want them to go. But where is the concept, here am I Lord, send me. And that became something the Lord prodded me in regarding the compassion to show to other people we need to listen. Brother James, I'm glad that God has called you to the ministry. 
I praise God. I would to God that more would hear because I believe God is saying, but they're not listening. One has said, obedience to the call of Christ nearly always costs everything to two people, the one who is called and the one who loves that one. And it would be remiss for me not to say, thank God for your wife, a faithful, compassionate woman that can be with you on the field and along with your children. Thank God for that, as you've expressed it, to be an encouragement to you as you serve the Lord. Yes, there's a method, there's a call. But secondly, there's a message. You'll note then in the reference in the tail end of verse 24, it says to testify the gospel of the grace of God. To testify. To put it forth, to be a witness, to be earnest, solemn in one's presentation of that truth. That's what we testify. We testify the good news of the grace unmerited favour of God. In the receiving of that, Paul describes this as you look with me in verse 21. Again, using the word testifying. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. That covers everybody. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're telling them to turn from their sin and turn back to the God they need to trust in. That was his message. First century message, 21st century message. Same message. We don't change it, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes in it. So we testify of that. The charge is to testify the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the gospel. Paul declares later on in in verse 24, he says, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Then he goes on to say, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock. I believe it's fittingly summed up by Richard Johnson's statement in 1792 as the first chaplain to Australia when he said, My commission from God extends equally and alike to all the inhabitants. Without distinction, it is my duty to preach to all, to pray for all and to admonish everyone. It's still the same. It has not changed. We need to warn, we need to watch, we need to witness of the truth of the power of the gospel. Indeed, we need to take a leaf out of the Apostles' book and say, but but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Or Paul who declared, for I have determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was surprising for me to learn that George Mueller, that noted man of prayer, that in the early years from his salvation, did not take up the Bible as much as he should. And he said from that time when he did, he said, since I began to search it diligently, the blessings have been wonderful. I've read the Bible through 100 times and always with increasing delight. John Bunyan said, author of Pilgrim's Progress, read the Bible, read it again. Pray and read and read and pray. For a little from God is better than a great deal from man. The message is still the same. Declare it. You've received of the Lord, you declare it. 
Then we venture into some thoughts that are more to do with the minister in the ministry. And we come to the very beginning of verse 24, if we could. We read there, having looked at the method and the message, I'll give this a title for this point, Mentors. And you might at first disagree with me, but I'll explain myself. It says there, but none of these things move me. He's reflecting what, he, what he's just said. We won't go into the detail, just to capture some words where he says, tears, temptations, lying in wait of the Jews, bonds and afflictions. These things that were there to try to set me away from the direction the Lord had placed me in. These were trying to move me away from that but no, they were not going to by the grace of God. But none of these things moved me. The heartaches, the difficulties of the ministry and they're very much alive today. So we need to see these also can be our mentors. We'll look at them usually as our menaces. They're there to try to disrupt us. They're there to try to get us off track. But I believe the things God allows to come our way in the ministry can be our mentors, our instructors, rather than just a nuisance and a menace to the cause of Christ. Let grace prevail and you will see this is true. On the church property at Victory Baptist Church, we've had some big trees there. They've been there for many, many decades. But just over the last few months, we've had to plant a lot more trees around the property some of them, these little trees, were staked as well just to help them in their infant times to put roots down, become stable enough to go up and grow. We will remove the stakes in due course when they get beyond the point. It would not be right to leave the stake in nor to put a bigger stake in to help it. You see, there's very much a principle God has placed here that the wind has a place to help the tree develop its root system, in some cases to make the trunk even stronger. So that swaying of the wind as that little tree starts to grow up is important for its development. At first, yes, put the stake of support, but then we all have to sort of stand even if contrary winds come and blow against our little tree because it will teach us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. It will teach us to be steadfast in Christ. And so it will strengthen our roots that are going down into him and it will help us to have a strong trunk to weather the future storms. It's all in God's plan. They're not menaces. We often think they are. Let me show you biblically that they have a mentoring role. Over Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and I know you know this, some of you preachers know the verse, 1 Corinthians 16.9, For a great door and effectual is open unto me. Now you say, I'd love to just finish there and leave it. Great door, opportunity, people are being saved, growing in Christ, bearing the message to others, but it doesn't. And Paul writes, and there are many adversaries. So what does Paul do? Oh, look, I'm leaving town. I'm going now. This is just too strong. The wind's contrary to me. God uses contrary winds. He actually says in the verse before it, he says, but I will tarry at Ephesus 
until Pentecost. He stayed. And that's why Paul becomes strong in his faith because the winds that blow which seem to be menacing the ministry are mentoring him and developing him in the ministry. I'll go to a personal level with Paul. You know it well enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He's asking God, please take this thorn in my flesh away. Please, Lord, please, Lord. Until God comes back and says these words to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. How does Paul respond? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And listen to what he says further. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. Do you take pleasure in them? They're an absolute nuisance. No. They can be a great blessing. Paul says, I take delight in them because then I know his grace strengthens my trunk, goes down to my roots and allows me to even be more fruitful, to branch further than I ever could because those adverse winds have been allowed by God to make me what I ought to be. Don't look at it the wrong way. We tend to. God has a reason. We need the Lord. We need to depend on him. Bounds notes, the ministry of prayer has been the peculiar distinction of all God's saints. This has been the secret of their power. The energy and the soul of their work has been the closet. We need it. We've noted in this statement, in our ministry statement from Acts 20 and verse 24, we've noted there that the ministry that the Lord has has a method. You receive it of Christ. He calls you. You have a message, the gospel, all the counsel. You have mentors, but you also have a means of how you achieve the ministry. Would you note with me then the statement that's made after that one? It says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Neither count I, he's an accountant now, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Compared to the ministry, compared to the person of Christ, what is my life? I don't count it as dear. Indeed, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Indeed, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. Paul understood the principle of reckoning himself dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. So, brother, I say to you, as I say to me and I say to all, you are to count upon what Christ is. At times in the ministry, people will compliment you. Other times, they will criticise you. At other times, they seem to be not interested. Don't gauge ministry on the basis of what people respond to you. Your calling is in the Lord. So you follow the Lord. Sometimes when people file out after a message, some might avoid you. Uh, Some might say, thank you, Pastor. And some might say, well, that was really a blessing. This is what I got out of it. Then you see it transpire in their life. You say, praise God. Others might come up with these sort of things to the pastor as they leave. You always manage to find something to fill up the time. I don't care what they say. I like your sermons. If I'd known you were going to be good today, 
I had, would have brought my neighbour. Oh. We shouldn't make you preach so often. <laughs> Subtle way of saying, that's enough, too long, that we are to please the Lord. We're not to please, as it were in that sense, people. We are to please the Lord, be a God-pleaser. Uh, a, a preacher of the pastor, Campbell Morgan, uh, ministering in England and then he had time in America and then went back to England. He became popular, well-known and he got offers for things. This is what happens, sadly. People get in this trend and they should just get into their local church, serve God and be faithful there. But one particular man by the name of John Wanamaker, and that's his name, John Wanamaker, who was a merchant in Philadelphia. He was well-known in the state and also prominent. He became the postmaster general of the United States at one point. So he was a fellow in society, but he also had spiritual interests. So he offered Campbell Morgan to come and he would build a million-dollar church. Now, we're talking 100 years ago, roughly. I'll build you a million-dollar church and you can be the pastor. So Campbell Morgan had enough sense. He said, I'm God's man. And if I did that, I would become John Wanamaker's man. There are a lot of Wanamaker people around. They want to make you this and they want to make you that. You need to let the maker make you, brother, in the way he wants to mould you to be the servant of God he wants you to be. Because many will have views and opinions about what your ministry should be or shouldn't be, but we get our marching orders from the Lord. And finally, always people like to hear the last thought. Here it comes. We've seen the methods, the message, the mentors, the means, and now the measure. You notice they all start with me because we're talking about me in the ministry. What God wants me to do. Here am I, Lord, send me, is the measure. The measure. You'll notice then Paul gives the measure in verse 24. He says, so that I might finish my course with joy. I want to complete it, Lord. I want to run the race that you've set me on all those years ago. I've still got something to run. And I praise God the record has it where Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have finished my course. So praise God he finished it. By the grace of God he finished it. He gives us a ministry statement that we can all learn from, but the measure is by God's grace, finish what God wants you to do. He's the author of your faith, brother. He's the finisher of your faith. He's the one all the way in between as you stride out to serve him. We run the race under his leadership and love. We run that race by his grace. But we can encourage others along the way. Paul did that. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, he wrote to a man who was in the ministry. We're not talking about Timothy and Titus here, but another in the ministry. And he writes to him and he said, to say to Achippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfil it. Fulfil it, Archippus. Keep going. God's called you to this great task of being a servant of mine. Do it. Not Paul's, that is the Lord's, the servant of the Lord. Do it. Indeed, we've reflected on some noted missionaries and their statements or people of the past. 
And David Livingstone was an example of a man who laid it all aside to give himself fully and wholly to what he believed God would have him to do. He had opposition from the Scottish brethren, as it were. He had difficulties with health and eyesight, but he made this statement about the ministry. Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. The ministry. God calls us, and particularly today for Brother Herringson, God calls you to the gospel ministry. And you know, when you're dealing with people, one of the best ways to get your point across is to quote their words back to them because they've said it or they've stated it. And brother, when you put yourself in print, you can hear it back. It's not a major statement and it's not a correction. Rather, it's an encouragement. I noticed on two prayer letters from May and from November this year concerning the field of Mauritius, you conclude your missionary letters with this statement. Your servants for the sake of the gospel. Brother, if I would exhort you to be anything, be his servant for the sake of the gospel. Thank you.